You suffer from depression, anxiety, PTSD, or some other mental health condition. You have tried pill after pill, treatment after treatment. None of them have worked. Today, we're going to talk about why psychedelics may be the treatment you've been looking for. Our guest is Dr. Dave Rabin from Apollo Neuroscience and from The Psychedelic Report. But first, this is the FitMess where together we learn to develop habits that help us live beyond our mental health struggles to create happier, healthier lives. He's Zach. He lives in the future with his anxiety. He's Jeremy, and he lives in the past with his depression. And we get together once a week in the present to share the obstacles we face and how we overcome them. So Zach, as you just mentioned, anxiety, depression, these are things that you and I have wrestled with most of our lives. There are far deeper conditions mental health-wise that many people suffer from, PTSD, things like that. And I hesitate to use the, the term magic pill but we may be as close to a magic pill as we'll ever get. That's right. But the cool thing about this magic pill, compared to all of the other pills, all the other pills are, are very good at masking the symptoms, right? They, they take it away. That It doesn't really fix the underlying cause. And what I really, truly enjoy about the psychedelic world, and again, this is speaking with very little experience from healing trauma with psychedelics, other than maybe some college uh, rampages. And maybe maybe a little Saturday night boredom uh, in the high school years, right? Oh, it wasn't boring. <laughs> but um, yes, but this magic pill, right? The, or if, if we're calling it a magic pill, right? It, it really doesn't mask anything. It doesn't go in and fix the symptoms. It really just opens your mind up so that you can go in and do the healing that you need to do that's causing the symptom. So it gets right to the root of the problem. It really allows you to go in there. But, you know, as, as Dr. Dave says, it's not necessarily dangerous, but this is something like we talk about coaches all the time. Like, oh, you want to lose weight? Go get a coach. Oh, you want to be mindful? Go get a coach. Oh, you want to do X? Go get a coach. And it's usually a suggestion, right? We know that everyone can do all of those things on their own and research things on the internet. But this one, this one, go get a coach. Really go get a coach who knows what they're doing and have them walk you through it, have them help you through it. If you're truly interested in unlocking your brain to the point where you can go in and heal some trauma and get rid of all those symptoms, get a coach, get somebody to help you. Also, just because you don't want to waste the experience. I mean, in my also very, very, very limited experience, had I worked with somebody who knew what they were doing I would have gotten more out of it. You know, I, I, I spent a weekend playing Tetris and had a pretty good time, right? Like that's, that's about as far as it went for me. Uh, there were, there were moments when I realized like, wow, I'm like, I'm like just smiling like an idiot for no reason. Like what's the deal with this? But had I worked with somebody who knew proper dosage, the best ways to use it, how to guide those feelings into a way that goes deeper and uproots some of that uh, trauma, some of those things, it could have been a much more uh, important thing than just, you know, kind of a, a hangout weekend. So there's right. just so many reasons to work with somebody. And I mean that in a very real and legally binding sense. Don't play around with this. This is not something to, to just mess around with on your own if you want to have the true healing benefits. So you had a pretty fun weekend. I've read a whole lot of papers, watched a whole lot of documentaries. So I know a little bit about this, but I don't have that intimate knowledge. I'm not an expert. I know very, very surface level stuff. So let's just jump right into it. Today, we have Dr. Dave Rabin on the show. He's a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist and a co-founder of Apollo Neuro, the devices that Jeremy and I both wear on our wrists and ankles that activate our nervous system. 
But he has a new podcast looking at something a little bit different. It's called The Psychedelic Report. And we started off by just asking him why now was the time to do this type of a podcast. You know, part of being a, a physician and being a, a caregiver, especially once we start to enter the level of senior caregiver, like doctor, nurse practitioner, and folks who are really, run, you know, kind of as a psychologist would fit in this category too, folks are really, you know, running the clinical programming of how do we deliver care and how do we steer care delivery to other people at, in, in our communities more effectively. There's always been in the history of medicine, this triple path, right? There's the actual delivery of care. How do we practice medicine? Then there's the, how do we teach the practice of medicine to others? And then there's the, how do we research the new and create the opportunities for us to ask questions that are hard questions that may be uncomfortable because they might question the roots of our understanding of different things, which can be vulnerable and, and disconcerting at times. But how do we create the safe space to ask those really hard questions to say, hey, if our treatments for X aren't working, maybe our idea of X is not quite all the way there. Let's try to think about X in a different way. And so then that creates the research fertile ground for research and actually new developments in medicine so that neither the teaching, what we teach and what we know, and what we practice and how we heal, none of that stagnates because research keeps it going, right? And so these three elements have to constantly be in balance with each other for, in, in historically speaking, for thousands of years in clinical medicine, but especially in the last couple hundred years of modern clinical medicine, this has been the way we've been taught and how we've been taught to practice includes these three pillars, research, teaching, and clinical practice. Over the last 30 or 40 years, there's been this very strange thing that's happened in Western medicine where doctors and these higher level caregivers have been relegated to almost like factory workers within the business of the hospital or the medical system. And that creates a huge problem because that eliminates the two critical pillars that are required for stabilizing and, and accelerating the medical process and making sure it stays up to date. And if you treat doctors and caregivers like factory workers, they don't have an incentive to teach and they don't have an incentive to do research, to learn new stuff. They're just like, how do I see as many people as possible in as short, quick, quick a time as possible, right? That's not how we deliver the best care. It never has been. We've always known that. So it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise. But for me, growing up in the traditional Western medical model and, and really having a lot of roots in this ancient practices of the way we deliver medicine and medical care, research and teaching have always been incredibly important to me. And I think a lot of it was because I had really incredible mentors growing up and I had the blessing of having people who knew more than me, who were compassionate and, and willing to teach me and to kind of like take me out of their wing and show me the ropes and not having had that, there's absolutely no way that I would have been where I am. So I feel like it's a, and they also really respected research and clinical practice, even though they weren't necessarily experts in both. And so I got this, this incredible mentorship that really got me to where I am and helped me to accomplish these really interesting, you know, things in life and take advantage of cool opportunities that I would have never seen before. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to pass that on to the community and my colleagues. And so the psychedelic report is really this conglomeration of all of this uh, sentiment around how do we teach medicine better? How do we teach neuroscience better? And how do we as the, the leaders in the field who are on the forefront doing the research, seeing the patients, how do we pass that information down as effectively as possible to the community, not just to the educated community, but also to everybody else and make it understandable by everybody else. And then how do we create a safe space to talk about uncomfortable shit, 
right? Like psychedelics, altered states, <laughs> shame, guilt, what lies beneath the surface of our consciousness under the hood? You know, how do we create the safe space to talk about this stuff and to really go out there without fear of stepping in somebody in, in, in the dogma, right? Without fear of like... <laughs> or stepping in the 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 shit that of the dogma. <laughs> right? I, I thought you were going for dog shit. I was surprised <laughs> yeah. with the dogma twist, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's really like that it's the dog it's the shit that gets left behind from misplaced dogma, right? And it's really like how do we not let that stuff gunk up the machine of discovery? Cuz it's really about just discovering and teaching each other to discover as much as possible. That's like one of the most exciting parts about life. So the psychedelic report we really try to put out is like, this is a not a podcast in this typical sense of a podcast. It's a show that actually has a live component. You can call in, you can talk to the experts. Um, we record live almost every Thursday at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific. And then you can come and check out those longer form interviews where we actually give you the highlights of psychedelic news, consciousness news, mental health. This is what's going on in the forefront. So you can actually understand how this means something to you, what you can do about it. Um, how you can make this a bigger part of your life, even on a daily basis, and then how to talk about it with other people, because that's also really important so that we're sharing a narrative that's consistent with the way things actually are, not the way we were just told things are. So psychedelics, I think anyone who's listening is going there, either people are piqued their interest or people are now scared, right? That's like one of those two reactions. I have not tried microdosing yet. We won't talk about what happened in college. We'll, we'll just say that I'm not a rookie, but can you just explain, you know, just kind of the basics, like, why are we talking about psychedelics? Why are we talking about microdosing? What is it good for? Like, and what could people expect? Like the difference between a fun weekend and microdosing, right? There's a huge difference. Yeah, there's definitely a huge difference. And there's definitely a huge difference also between a fun weekend where you're exploring your subconscious and, uh, a, a really horrifying bad trip weekend, right? Which could easily turn one way or the other. And so a lot of people have a lot of mystery around those experiences, which creates apprehension or a little bit of fear, a little bit of reservation. That's, and that's okay. And I think it's probably a good thing, but to demystify it a little bit, what psychedelic means is it, is it means it's a word that was described many years ago, uh, several decades ago, that means to reveal the mind, right? So psyche means mind, delos means to show or to reveal. So this is an uh, you know like from Latin Greek roots that means to reveal the mind. So what that really means is is that it's talking about a state of being that's not unique to dr a drug induced state. It's a state that we actually most often encounter in our dreams, where parts of our minds, parts of ourselves that are normally not aware we're not aware of or are not available to us all of a sudden come into our awareness and we're starting to be able to perceive those things and the amount of those um, how what comes up that becomes available to us the amount of stuff from beneath the surface isn't always predictable and that's the same with our dreams sometimes we have super deep intense dreams and sometimes we have dreams that are really light and we barely remember them and they don't really seem to have any relevance at all but either way those are kind of like a natural altered state that all of us enter a natural psychedelic state that all of us enter on a regular basis. And the reason why this is important to understand is because this is not, again, a drug required thing. You don't require psychedelic medicines to enter these states. So that's number one. Number two is the medicine 
is a molecular amplifier of something that's going on inside of us that allows us to evaluate and become aware of what's beneath the surface of our awareness. So that's the second most important thing is that psychedelic medicines are molecules. You ingest them into your body, then they're molecularly amplifying certain pathways in our bodies around emotion and feeling. And Stan Groff, one of the founding psychiatrists who invented the holotropic breathwork, he was one of the first psychiatrists to try LSD in the 40s and 50s, a very famous and well-regarded psychiatrist in this field, said that uh, and described psychedelic medicines as non-specific amplifiers. And you can add on of awareness at the end there. Because ultimately, if you think about our awareness on a daily basis or right now, right, our awareness is the tip of the iceberg of life. It's like just what we see that's sticking out of the surface of the water, which is right now this conversation. If you're looking at the video, you're seeing us talking to each other, maybe some hand movements, maybe our eyes start darting back and forth as we thought, track each other on the screen, right? And that's what we're aware of in the context of this immediate moment, which is just the tip of the iceberg sticking out of the water. And all of a sudden, you introduce a psychedelic state or a psychedelic drug, and all of a sudden that iceberg starts to become we realize not that it's changing in shape, it's just becoming, we're, we're watching it appear much bigger. And we're saying, oh, as this medicine takes effect, or as this meditation state or this dream state becomes more realizable, I'm actually able to see beneath the surface of the water, not just that little tip that's sticking out that, you know, confused the Titanic captain, but I can actually see what's all the way beneath the 100 million more times uh, iceberg that's beneath the surface. And I can choose if I plan thoughtfully, going back to what we bring into the experience, I can choose what it is that I want to evaluate as part of that iceberg. What do I want to focus on? Because there's, again, 100 million more times iceberg beneath the surface. That's a lot for me to take in at any moment. How do I zoom in on the parts that I care about the most, that I that mean the most to me? And let's bring those back into my above the surface, right? And then gradually what is above the surface becomes a little bit bigger and a little bit sharper and a little bit more in clear view. And that helps us to be more informed and aware of what's going on in our lives. And if we in tandem, if we bring in gratitude for that, if we bring in, you know, feelings of safety, feelings of, you know, wholeness, feelings of seeking wholeness, seeking safety, seeking gratitude, those kinds of things, in a safe environment, we amplify all of that with the medicine and the medicine creates this powerfully healing experience that is literally a molecular accelerator to things like gratitude and self-love and forgiveness and compassion. And on the other hand, if we bring in fear and threat and perceptions of lack of safety or lack of safety within ourselves or self-hatred and things like that, and we're in a disorganized, unsafe environment coming in, we don't trust the people we're around what have you and things that simple that can amplify the fear and it can amplify the disorganization and the discomfort and so this is really critical because the safety of the environment ultimately is the single most important part that makes sure that people have these very very meaningful powerful outcomes that are long lasting and that safety really seems to facilitate the transformation that people have in the healing experience so having that safety, whether it's internally generated because we we train ourselves to do it or whether it comes from a guide or people around us will dramatically impact the way that we respond to these medicines to the ultimate end of whether or not we have what we call a good trip or a bad trip. A bad trip is when we resist what is coming up, what is coming into our awareness from beneath the surface of the, of the water 
when that comes up and we're like, oh no, I'm not ready for that. That's because for whatever reason, but it's usually because we don't feel safe enough to face it in that moment. That's when it becomes down. It goes down the bad trip path because we're putting up a wall or a blocker to something that's asking to be acknowledged and worked through. And the medicine is bringing that forth through expanding our awareness. And then we're like, oh, wait, I plan to do this, but actually I'm not ready. And that thing is still knocking there being like, hey, well, I'm ready. You better be ready for me. And if you're not, then you're going to have a rough ride. Okay. I, I want to zero in on both sides of that because they speak to the very light experiences that I had with two different tests that I did. But I also want to dumb this down really quick for, for dummies like me. So I, I was, I've been talking about this. I think what you just said very, very clearly about the awareness part of this. And I, I've had this debate with several people about whether or not a psychedelic experience is really witnessing more of reality or, or or a reality that's not available to us or if we're just tripping balls right like we're messing up our brain so we think we see things silly right we see things in a different way is it really that we're seeing more are we seeing something that already exists and we don't have the ability to process it without getting into these states through dreams or breath work or whatever is there more that we're being exposed to or is it just our brain is kind of put in a weird mode you know what i mean Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think or do a, we know it's, it's an age old question, right? Is is it hallucination implying that what we're experiencing is not real or illusory? Or is it more of what's real? And the question is, it's both or the answer is it's both, right? It's everything and more because if you go in, but and what you go into it with the intention that with the goal, basically, of I want to get X out of this experience, whatever it is, whether there's drugs involved or not, whether you're microdosing or macrodosing, whether you're taking microdosing, basically everything we're talking about applies to both microdosing and macrodosing, but microdosing means sub-threshold dosing. We barely notice or don't notice any effect in the moment, whereas macrodosing is with the goal of achieving a peak state, a peak ecstatic state. So microdosing you do like occasionally or once every three days, according to like the Fadiman protocol, for instance, be like once every three days for three months, macrodosing you do once every two to four weeks at most, at most under careful guidance. Um, and you don't tend to need as much guidance for microdosing um, other than regular therapy. But ultimately, yes, what you bring, what is, this is the age old question, right? Is what is it that people are witnessing when they enter into these profoundly spiritual and sacred altered states of consciousness, whether it be with medicine or yoga or breath work or flow states through exercise or psychedelics or whatever, or, or like drumming circles, right? Whatever it is, or gongs, something is nudging people into these very powerful states. And it seems to be something likely consistent with, again, this is a little bit of speculation combined with what we know from the neuroscience, but it seems to be something consistent with a dopamine, dopamine, serotonin cascade that's happening in the brain that's activated by these molecules, particularly around the serotonin 5-HT2A receptor, but not unique to that, but that's a very important one that results in a shift in the filter in our brains in the middle between what's coming in and what gets stored. There's a little filter and uh, it has a bunch of names, but we'll just call it the colostrum for, for this purpose, which is a thin, imagine like a thin film that coats the part of the brain between 
what comes in and then what we decide to store as meaningful long-term memory. And it's a, and that filter gets changed, right? So if that filter is filtering in, allowing in normally when we're sober, everything that's important for survival in our day-to-day functioning, but nothing else, right? So it filters out the feeling of the clothes on our body. It filters out when people do things that annoy us or make us feel sad. It might even filter out our own feelings of sadness and being annoyed or angry because those are disruptive to us on a daily basis, right? It might filter out other people's emotions, right? It might filter out a lot because none of that stuff is useful to us on a daily basis. All of a sudden you take a psychedelic medicine, it shifts the nature of that filter just slightly. And now you're able to perceive different things based on the nature of what that medicine did. So in the case of psilocybin, maybe you take a little psilocybin and your awareness of natural phenomena increases, right? Your awareness of the way the sun reflects off the leaves as it's passing through the trees changes, right? The feeling of the heat on your on your skin from the, from the sun or the lack thereof as the wind is blowing by and evaporating that heat from you. You start to notice different things that are very naturally oriented, whereas when people use medicine like LSD or psilocybin or, or MDMA, it often winds up introducing a much more empathy heightening sensation, right? It's called, that's why they're often called uh, entheogenic substances because they increase the sense of empathy and, and awareness of self and connection to self and others, right? And so each medicine has its own slightly different character that molecularly is amplifying different awarenesses, different parts of the body, But I think using the word hallucination or illusion is actually doing us a great disservice because what we're seeing and experiencing when we shift the filter is real. The world around us is not actually changing when we shift the filter, right? When we shift the filter, we're just changing the way we perceive the world around us. And so therefore, you would guess that what it is you're perceiving is still actually there. It's just coming in through a different lens. Then how do you tune that lens right? To actually bring in like tuning a TV antenna or radio. Like, how do you just tweak that a little bit to make sure that it's getting in stuff that isn't impacted by a whole bunch of interference, that the signal you're getting is pure, right? And clean and crystal clear. And once you have a clear, clean, crystal clear signal, then making sense of what is something my mind is just kind of like messing with versus what is it that I'm actually experiencing and how does this make sense of reality becomes a lot easier. But this takes training, right? This is this is complicated stuff. Yeah. Real. We don't learn this as kids. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, man, I, I want to wedge like three questions into our remaining few minutes. I'm going to I'm going to try and do this. Uh, I have a few and, more and, minutes, and, too, if that's OK. Oh, perfect. Okay, great. So so quickly, I, I just want to share my uh, two experiments that I did. And I think they speak to what you were talking about before, where I had two different uh, two different psilocybin um, edibles. I did this by myself. Nobody else was home. It was just me. And uh, the first one I took, I, w- I was less afraid of. I, I just, you know, I ate it and, and turned on the TV and, and just kind of hung out and just waited to see what would happen. Like, are the walls going to start doing weird stuff? Like, what's going to happen? And ultimately, after about an hour, I realized, like, I'm sitting here smiling like an idiot for no reason. Like, I feel I feel happy. But otherwise, like, Nothing, nothing weird. No, no, you know, an elephant's not dancing across the living room or anything like I'm just I've like, I just feel light and kind of good and clear and happy. And I was like, oh, I get it. Right. Like if I've got some serious stuff and I ramp up the dose and with the with the right uh, guidance from a professional, this could be powerful. The other one I was afraid of. I tried it the next night. 
And I started getting angry and just like, like unsettled and just kind of irritated. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mentioned that to Zach before we were recording. And he said, that's the one you should do more of because there's some stuff you got to work on in there. So what's your take on my on my two experiences? I mean, it, it, he's not entirely wrong. Right? If, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but you want to, but you, but again, you have to be in a space that you've cultivated in advance that is prepared to nurture that experience for you because it will be uncomfortable. And I think the, you know, the Buddhists have a really nice way of describing this in that the discomfort or the vulnerability, what makes us feel vulnerable or most challenged is our greatest teacher. That's what we should treat as our greatest teacher, because that is the experience we're going to learn the most from by learning how to navigate our discomfort. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. That that's a great answer. But we so, have to, but we have to be safe at the at the core in mm-hmm. our environment to be able to allow our minds and bodies to sit with that discomfort. Because if we're yeah. not safe, if we're stressed out and keyed up in any way, like even not getting enough sleep last night, getting into an argument with our partner, or friends, or family, uh, having difficulty at work you know, just too many responsibilities, too much news, any of those things are all together, we'll get our bodies into a state where we're actually physiologically opposed to change, which I think we talked about a lot in our last interview. Um, and if the body's opposed to change, doesn't matter how much good newness is coming up, it doesn't matter how much stuff that's coming up that you're like, oh yeah, I need to work on that. Your body will resist working on it because it's uncomfortable. So the safety of the environment, whether it, you can do it on your own or whether you have other folks come in to help you or you go someplace to feel safe enough to be able to access these deep states that is absolutely critical to the experience and so then on those lines uh obviously the the healing properties of this i mean that's that's what that's what you're exploring here with with your professional life so my little example of boy i feel kind of happier you know extrapolate that out to somebody with ptsd with serious depression serious anxiety issues like serious serious mental health issues we're seeing tremendous uh, benefits in treating those properly with with these medicines. So can you tell me just sort of briefly about where we're at with that? For sure. Yeah, I mean, in short, this is one of the most exciting times that we've had in the history of psychiatry because we are seeing that there's a complete shift in the paradigm of healing from mental illness to what where we're at still today, which is we're going to, you're going to come into the office and we're going to treat your symptoms and we're going to give you medication and give you tools to help manage the symptoms. And then the other side of it that we're going to, because we, the symptom management only works in less than 50% of people long-term, meaning that more than 50% of people with PTSD and depression, anxiety are still sick after two or more gold standard treatments of by the book treatment, right? So that's not a great statistic. So so psychedelic medicines offer a completely different paradigm where you don't have to take medicine every day. You do have to do practices every day, like what we're talking about, like gratitude practices and self-forgiveness, self-compassion, self-love practices, which are you know less side effects than medication. Using tools like Apollo can help integrate and facilitate learning in psychedelic states, other neuroplasticity tools. But the point is you're only taking medicine for three to 12 times in the entire course of your illness. So if you think about with ketamine-assisted therapy, what we do in the clinic, this is now the only legal psychedelic medicine. It's used predominantly for depression, treatment-resistant depression, and PTSD. This is most of the people we see coming into our clinic uh, come for ketamine therapy. 
and they don't want to take medication anymore, or they've had a lot of side effects from medication, they can't take medication. And so we do ketamine therapy with them and with intensive preparation therapy during the medicine session and then integration within just six to 12 sessions, we see, and you know, maybe like 40 hours of psychotherapy, not a lifetime, but 40 hours, discrete 40 hours, you know, we're seeing similar to the MAPS protocol, like a 80 to 95%, 88 to 95% response rate in people who are treatment resistant, right? These are people who have failed all other treatments. So that's really exciting. And in the MAPS trial, which is the leading trials of uh, psychedelics for mental illness, um, they've looked at people who are the sickest of the sick. They are looking at people with treatment-resistant PTSD on average of 17.6 years, no treatment responses, and with just three doses of MDMA. Again, these people have tried everything under the sun. Nothing has worked. They get three doses of MDMA with a combined 42 hours of psychotherapy over 12 weeks. And in that time frame, 55% of them in the phase two trial, which now they've completed phase three, but which had better results even, but 55% in the phase two were no longer meeting diagnostic criteria for PTSD with an, something like an 88% response rate, meaning 88% of people are, are getting some benefit. And this is compared to placebo, 55% are actually no longer meeting diagnostic criteria after just 12 weeks of treatment. Then what's even more incredible is you look at one year out, right? Because you want to see, does the treatment effect last? Is it durable? One year out, no additional treatment with MDMA, no additional treatment with psychotherapy or anything that's administered by MAPS. And one year out, that number of 55% in the phase two trial goes up to 67%, no longer meeting diagnostic criteria. So something is happening in these people in that three doses and 42 hours of psychotherapy timeframe with MDMA, which is similar to what we're seeing in ketamine, which is that people are remembering how to heal themselves again. And this is what goes back to the, again, the ancient Hippocratic principles of Western medicine and the ancient Eastern and tribal principles of those of, of Eastern culture, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and tribal culture is that the center of the healing process always resides within the individual seeking to be healed, not in the healer, not in the medicine. And it's about restoring power to that part of us so that we can heal ourselves better. And if we can do that, then it decreases costs, it improves comfort, improves response rates, it improves everything if we can get people reactivated in that way. And MDMA and psychedelic medicines are so paradigm shifting for mental health because they show us that that's possible again. And they show us that the medicine used properly can amplify that self-healing or, or as MAPS calls it, the inner healing intelligence. This part of ourselves just knows how to heal ourselves. The medicines and the therapy amplify that. And they do it on a consistent long-term basis that has incredible long-term results to the point where we, we see these results coming out and it changes the way that we even talk about the illness to the point where we might be able to use in the next three to five years, as early as that, we might actually be able to use the cure word when describing people's mental illness pr uh, prognosis, which is incredible. That is right? incredible. Wow. I, I know, I know we need to wrap up and and I've just got one more question for you where, where people can find you. But um, uh, I honestly could could ask you a thousand more questions and go down this road. I wanted Jeremy to have the questions because he's had the experience. And um, I guess my last question before I ask, you know, where people can find you is, did you say earlier I was kind of right? 
I did. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> well, there was a big and, caveat there, though. Well, no, what yeah. you're right, what you're right about is really important. You know, I think the caveat is the safety because we often yeah. overlook it. Like we just forget, like we take safety so much for granted, but we realize that most of us aren't taught how to do it or how to do it right. Yeah. And and but the point that you're really right about that we also are not taught is that we have to build tolerance to discomfort. Right. Yeah. Like life is not about being comfortable all the time, despite what we may have been taught growing up. That is a fantastic goal to be comfortable all the time, to always strive for comfort, to always strive for balance. But balance really means that sometimes we're uncomfortable and sometimes we're comfortable. I'm so right? glad you said that. That was the question I was afraid I wasn't going to have time to ask you about is because I struggle with it like self-help is such a, uh, there's such a gimmicky part of it where we're constantly like, you can be happy if you just three simple steps to a life where you're just carefree and everything's wonderful. That's not, it's not possible and it's not a good life experience, right? I mean, that's the whole point is to grow through these pains, right? Exactly. And it's not, and, and again, to your, to the point, right? These are all, this is really great because it's not, we have to set reasonable expectations or no expectations, because expectations, if you also look at the Buddhist teachings, expectations are also the root of suffering yep. because they attach us to an outcome that may or may not be. And if we instead let go of the idea of expectations and just say, hey, I'm just going to do my best with what I know to be the best person I can to myself and others, then the outcomes, we, we manifest the outcomes by focusing more of our energy on what we're doing right now to be that best person we can be then we are thinking about how, what, you know, what we want to get out of all these things we're doing, right? Which then creates this like almost teeing us up for disappointment because we almost never hit our expectations right on. It's extremely mm -hmm. hard to hit your expectations right on. You're always going to slip on something. Um, and so, you know, being able to recognize that, you know, again, thinking about what we're talking about here, if we're talking about like rethinking mental illness, a lot of what we're talking about is also rethinking health and in general and health is about balance. It's not about always feeling happy all the time. That's not a reality for any human being because we are aware of everything. Therefore we can be, we're going to be aware of sad stuff and happy stuff at the same time. We have to respect that balance. It's really about restoring health. It's about maintaining and sustaining that balance in constructive ways. And if we embrace the fact that we're going to feel uncomfortable then the, and that's just part of life, then rather than avoid discomfort, we actually dive into it head first and say, okay, let me figure out how to feel this in a way that makes sense to me and figure out what I can learn from it as much as possible. And that's when I become stronger and grow, right? That's mm -hmm. when I start to like really unlock, kind of like unlocking our potential. Like that's when we really start to unlock our potential because that's where all the, all the good stuff lies beneath the discomfort. Like you were saying, uh, Zach, earlier, right? Like that Buddhist, that that famous Buddhist teaching is like, think about the most challenging person that you have to interact with in any time of your life. And that person is your greatest teacher. Ooh, right? I love that. <sighs> okay. So if anyone listening is anything like me, they've got a million more questions. <laughs> they want to talk to you forever. But, and you've been really, really gracious with your time. So can you tell me where people can find you, where they can find the podcast if they want to learn learn more about you and, and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check me out at Clubhouse at Dr. Dave, uh, Dr. Dave Rabin. The podcast is at thepsychedelicreport.com. 
Um, you can find the show on any iTunes or Apple streaming platform, or sorry, iTunes or Spotify streaming platform. Um, it's called The Psychedelic Report, your single source of truth for the psychedelic news. Um, and if you want to hit me up, I always like to hear from you. Uh, on Clubhouse, we record the show live almost every Thursday. So you actually can come on and hang out with us. You can chat with us, interact with the experts. We really like to bring back that live radio element that's really always been fun for me growing up. Um, and having a chance to talk to the experts when they're around. And so we welcome you to come join us. And then uh, always hit me up on socials, Instagram and Twitter at Dr. David Rabin. And you can find my website, me on my website at apollo.clinic or drdave.io. And uh, props to the Apollo wearable. I Like I told you, I, I've got it on a schedule. It just goes all the time. And then I'm like, oh, I died. I got to charge it. So <laughs> great work with that as well. I'm just, oh, I'm you. such a fan. It's such a privilege to have you on the show and to, to to be able to put on these master classes with you. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And I hope to do it again soon. Oh, well, thank you. I hope to do this again as well. I really enjoy chatting with you guys. And there's so much more to talk about, you know, even just wrapping up on Apollo for those who are not familiar, there has, there has never been a wearable that has been an, an assistant or a tool for altered states or the psychedelic state. Apollo is actually the first wearable technology that not only helps us access psychedelic or altered states more easily, more reliably, um, just by tuning the body with sound, but it also helps us to navigate those experiences better. And it's the first wearable that's ever received an issued patent to reduce unwanted or unpleasant effects within the psychedelic state by restoring agency through a skin to breath to heart uh, neuro neurological process, which is really interesting. So this is the first of many technologies that will be coming out in this area. But so stay tuned because if you're somebody who's interested in exploring altered states and you want tools to help you navigate those more safely, more fluidly, um, and make them more accessible to you, Apollo is something that could definitely be worth exploring. And we'll definitely link to the previous episode where we talked more about that. Thank you again so much. Uh, just a privilege to have you here. We really appreciate your time. Likewise, my pleasure. Thank you again. Our thanks to Dr. Dave for being back on the show. Dr. Dave Rabin from the Apollo Neuro Band that we love so much, uh, as well as the new podcast that is fascinating and goes so much deeper on this topic than Zach and I will probably ever be able to do. It's called The Psychedelic Report. Check it out. Links to all of that are in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. Again, key takeaways there, Zach. We started off the show talking about this, but one of them is absolutely get some help if you're going to do this. Don't do this on your own. Absolutely. I am going to pick on Jeremy. Don't be like Jeremy. Get <laughs> some help. I do everything by myself. Why wouldn't I do this by myself? Yes, we all know that. But in this case, do as Jeremy says, not as he does, because you don't want to spend a whole weekend playing Tetris and not heal yourself. One of the things that I thought was so fascinating that he said about this was the, you know, the 50% of patients, particularly PTSD patients who they treat symptoms over and over and over again, and, and no real true healing ever seems to happen. But when he started talking about, you know, in, in three to 12 treatments properly done, that those problems could be erased. I just think that the, the potential for this as we're just getting serious about allowing the scientific exploration of it, the, the studying of it, they're, they're, I just feel like the sky is the limit on how many problems this may be able to solve if we can get drug companies to get out of the way and allow it to blossom. And that's another takeaway is just simply the fact that the, the stigma that these types of things have gotten over the years, right? They've been painted a really, really bad picture. And that's just absolutely not the case. It is medicine in a lot of in a lot of scenarios, it's medicine. It's not a drug. If you're using it in the right way, 
you're not out to get high. You're not out to trip out and and do all those things, even though, you know, college may, may or may not have been my enjoyable time. This is literally medicine to heal you, to get better. And to your point on the drug companies, right? I mean, this is ultimately why they don't want it to be around, right? Because this is a treatment that can actually solve the root of the problem. Whereas all of these other drugs are just treating the symptoms and it's a, you know, dollar signs, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it is something that needs to be taken seriously, perhaps even more seriously than we started the show. You know, we, we threw around the terms like magic pill. It literally is medicine. And if we even people like us stop using other language to describe it and, and literally call it what it is medicine for these awful conditions, then uh, I, I think that we'll just be on a faster path to healing for a lot of people. Yeah, I am super excited with the the research and the potential that's coming out of all of this, because I mean, there's so many people who are struggling in life that years and years and years of talk therapy, like there's, there's just some people who are, have such trauma that there's no amount of talk therapy. There's no amount of pills that they're going to be able to take. That's going to heal them properly. And this has the potential to give all of those people a normal life again. And then it has the potential to give all of us with the little T trauma, just a little bit better of a life. Permanently. So I'm super excited about the research capability that's coming out on this and hopefully someday seeing it legal here in the US. I know it's a different story in Canada, but it's it's a a little a little more gray up here. But uh, from what I've been told, it can be delivered to your house, which is amazing. So I've heard. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Fit Mess. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dr. Dave from Apollo Neuro and from The Psychedelic Report. Links to all of his stuff is in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. That's where we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening. See you, everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.